Welcome to Simon Says Educate. I'm Simon, your AI host, and I'm here to guide you through the exciting world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. Together with my human co-hosts, we'll explore the latest trends and best practices in education, bringing you a fresh and engaging perspective on what's happening in classrooms and beyond. Each week, we'll dive deep into the issues that matter most to our community, interviewing faculty members, students, and other thought leaders in the field. We'll discuss everything from the newest teaching strategies and classroom technologies, to the challenges and opportunities of online learning, and the impact of education on students' lives and careers. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired and informed as we embark on this educational journey together. Welcome to Simon Says Educate. Hello and welcome back to Simon Says Educate. My name is Ronald and I am a curriculum and instructional design specialist at Clover Park Technical College. Today, we are going to talk about a very interesting topic in education these days called ungrading. We have two faculty from Clover Park Technical College with us here today. The first is Eric Stokes and the second is Diana Faraday and they are both working in Gen Ed. I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves first. So why don't we start with Diana? Could you introduce yourself and describe your role and experience at Clover Park? Sure. Uh, my name is Diana Faraday. I am technically an academic lead for English and Communications, but mainly I teach English. English 101, English 102, English 235, all the Englishes. That's great. I also have a lot of experience teaching English, so um, I think you and I will have a lot in common. What about you, Eric? Hi, my name's Eric Stokes. I'm a tenure-track faculty member here at Clover Park. Uh, this being my third quarter on campus, I teach chemistry. Oh, and y'all can't see it in the podcast world, but uh, Eric has a nice background full of potions and cauldrons and, and all kinds of nice chemistry-related things. If he was a wizard, that was also a chemist. I like to keep it on brand. Keep it on brand. All right, sounds good. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started into this topic on uh, ungrading. I'm going to go back to uh, Diana here for the first question. The concept of ungrading is generating quite a buzz. What inspired you to explore and implement ungrading in your classroom? I was selected to take part in a training done by the State Board of Community and Technical Colleges for Washington State. Its title is Anti-Racism Curriculum Initiative. So basically right there in the name, it's supposed to be leading us toward an anti-racism type of curriculum. And the base for that curriculum was ungrading. They also called it labor-based grading, but it's basically the same deal. So that was what sent me in the direction of ungrading. I will be honest, I went originally unwillingly and it won me over. What won you over about it? What won me over about it was the reality that ungrading didn't mean the students were given participation trophies. It meant that they actually did work but we looked at the work a little differently. So that's what I liked about it. It kind of shattered the ideas that I had about it. The more I learned about it, the more I liked it. Because the concept seems very, you know, here's your ribbon for showing up, but it's not that way at all. So I, I suppose that's what won me over is actually learning what it was. Eric, do you have anything to add to that? 
for me, the process went a little bit differently. Uh, as a tenure track faculty member, I'm in my tenure process now. One of my goals that I set for myself within my tenure process was to expand my pedagogy, to really explore what was out there, what was currently happening in academic spaces that I hadn't been exposed to work. And so I actually went to CPTC's library, the LRC in Building 15. I found a book on their shelves called Ungrading, and I read the jacket, and it was talking about running classes without grades. And I said, oh, I don't know that that works in the STEM fields, but I'm fascinated. Let's find out. Let's see what it's like. And I took the book home, and I spent three days doing nothing but reading that textbook or reading that book on academic processes. And it introduced me to a lot of authors who were each writing their own chapter, their own experiences with ungrading, and I could see it formulating and doing well in more subjectively graded classes, classes that depend on rubrics more heavily. But in the STEM field, oftentimes our answers are, if the answer's two, the answer's two. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't write down two, then tough. I can give you partial credit if you got the math part way right, but in the end, if the answer's wrong, the answer's wrong. Mm -hmm. But as I read through, I noticed near the back parts of the book, uh, there were quite a few STEM educators who were talking about their experiences. And how they noted, like I did, that ungrading in the traditional set, where you throw out the grades, basically, didn't work for them. But they were being very forthright with ungrading is not an all-or-nothing process. It does not have to be. You ungrade the entire class, there's nothing graded in students, and you decide upon their final grade dependent upon their growth, which some instructors do you can ungrade a majority of the class and still have those big summative assessments mm -hmm. that are graded assignments and it's all about setting up expectations with your students and discussing with them what makes them anxious in classes and what brings them freedom and joy in classes and finding a way to tailor your ungrading methodology both to your field and to the student body you have presented to you in a given quarter. And that flexibility really is rewarding. And I got so fascinated with the idea that I actually contacted my dean and asked her if it would be something that she would support if I decided to try it. And she gave me the go-ahead with the same warning that I was already talking about to myself. And I will say that I've had a great time with it. It's been really interesting. Last quarter was my first experiment with it, and I'm continuing on with it this quarter on uh, a few of my classes. A few I found it didn't work, and a few it worked really well. And so I have to find that balance still. All right. Well, yeah, that, that certainly sounds interesting, and I'm hoping we have time today so you can go into a little bit more detail um, on that. But before we go on to the next question here, do you remember the name of that book? Is is it something that I can uh, put in the show notes in case anybody else wants to check it out? It's called Ungrading, 
why rating students undermines learning and what to do instead. And then in brackets, teaching and learning in higher education. Okay. Well, that title just grabs you right from the get. I can understand why you took the three days to you know sit down and consume the whole book. Let's get back to Deanna now. Can you walk us through your ungrading process and how it creates more inclusive and engaging learning environment? I can. I do actually want to respond to something that Eric said, if that's okay, because I found it interesting, Eric, that you talked about how you didn't want to do ungrading for a STEM class and that, you know, you're, you were reluctant because, you know, there's a right and wrong answer. I was initially very reluctant for what is obviously not a STEM class, which is English, because my entire career, I've had to fight somebody as to why English was relevant or that all I did was, you know, subjective grading and decide who was good and bad at, at what they were doing and that I could basically just make up any grades. So pretty much my whole career, I, I fought that. And then to have someone come along and say, OK, yeah, now also just don't grade anything. I was like, yeah, how am I going to sell that? I've been spending all this time telling people there are right and wrong ways to do this so to me it felt almost like i've been given this impossible task on top of a, a difficult problem i already had that's probably why i was reluctant when i when i went in but also what i found according to what eric said is that for me ungrading wasn't necessarily an all or nothing thing so to reply to the question one of my most common assignments, and I would argue anyone who teaches English, even sociology, history, anything like this, a very common assignment would be, here is a reading, and now I would like you to respond to it in a paragraph form or answering questions. So that was the first place I went to with ungrading. I said, okay, what can I do with this? And it was wildly successful to just tell the students, I would like you to read this and I would like you to respond in a paragraph of, yeah, you know, five to seven sentences, but, you know, whatever it takes to get your thoughts across is fine. I'm not going to put a ruler to it. And then tell them, if you do this, you receive the 20 points for the assignment. If you don't do it, you don't receive the points. Mm -hmm. And it freed them up to have creative and interesting responses to these readings rather than trying to find the correct answer to the secret question that I'd asked them when I hadn't really asked them a question. I just said respond. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking, oh, no, no, there must be something that she's looking for. I'm going to have to find it. But when I said, oh, no, just if you do it, you get the points. Then they were super creative about their answers. Um, and I was without fear of when I was grading them, I didn't have to think, okay, well, this person has a couple commas missing or a period missing. So should I deduct them two points for that? No, because I'd already set it up. If you do the assignment, you receive the points. Yeah. So that's where I first put the ungrading into clear action in my class. That And it really, it has worked very well. I like that idea. It's more just like complete, incomplete. It's for the students, it sounds like it'll be great because, you know, they they have that kind of um, pressure lifted of, I have to make sure all the, you know, the verbs are conjugated correctly. And as you said, the punctuation is right. But 
you said that the creativity goes up, but what about like the quality? Like, are there any students that are just like, oh, well, if I'm not going to get a grade, I'm just going to, you know, put a bunch of gobbledygook together and then submit that. I have to say that that was a very big concern of mine. And interestingly, it was a concern of mine because I ran into that before I did ungrading. I ran into students who would just, I don't know, rethink on their typewriter. Typewriter, what are we saying? What is the 1985 computer? <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> like, I've never used a typewriter. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> um, anyway, they, they would just uh, spew. And so I had that, whether I had uh, ungrading or regular. So when I realized I was already, I was thinking, well, what about those people that would, you know, just do this. What am I going to do about those students? And what I found to be a good solution for that was to make my assignment very clear. You can receive all of the points if you do the assignment, but doing the assignment means doing these things. Okay. So there, if I receive... A clear list of what... what yes. <laughs> this is what you need to do. I'm not going to grade how well you do that, but you need to do this. But if they would just type up something with zero punctuation and I couldn't understand them. The compromise I had for the ungrading world was to give them half points and tell them they could revise it just in a way that I could understand it. Okay. Uh, so in some ways, I guess ungrading purists might say that's not quite it, but I, I rarely had to do that. And usually I only had to do it once with a student. This is more positive than negative results. Oh, way more positive because with the readings, my big issue is I want them to be practicing critical thinking. I want them to be thinking about the content rather than worrying what they're worrying about with their writing. And that has definitely paid off. Mm. I think the issues I have with people not trying or, you know, as I said, pulling their parents' typewriters out of the closet or whatever I was thinking. <laughs> uh, that was very, it's been very minimal. In okay. practice, I understand the fear, but for me, it's been very minimal. Eric, have you had a, a similar experience? So the first class that I decided to really take a swing at ungrading was my upper level chemistry class, Chem 131, which is organic and biochemistry. And I'll say it really lifted the pressure off the students. So... What any chemist would tell you when you're going into organic chemistry is to brace yourself because there's a lot of three-dimensional thought. There's a lot of learning these new vocabulary words. There's a lot of trying to decipher what to us is almost like a foreign language. There's terms of Latin and suffixes that mean this very specific chemical when there are these really complex reaction that you have to deal with and i found my population of 131 was constantly the most stressed out set of human beings on the face of the earth especially because they are nursing students typically and if you ever had the joy of working with nursing students you will know that the standards for their acceptance into good nursing programs are incredibly high. And so they're under tons of pressure in order to achieve results. Mm -hmm. 
And so they were punishing themselves for every small mistake they were making, any half point, any one or two points they were losing. It was like they couldn't focus on how much of this new information they'd mastered and learned because any mistake is where they were focusing. They get 99% of a molecular structure correct and then go, I'm going to put this over here and they lose a point. And they'd go, oh, no, I lost that point. Oh, and they just beat themselves up. They, they feel like they didn't, like, get the concept at all. Exactly. When in reality, they got 90% of it. They just missed this one little bit. Just this one little bit. And so instead of doing what Diana did, which was the half grade if it's not correct, I took probably a more socially drastic approach with my 131 students i on the very first lab the first time we were meeting in person i told them the setup that i wanted to do for the class and got their approval we all discussed how it was going to run versus a normal class and i let them know some things off the top number one you will not be able to see your grades this quarter your grade book will be hidden from you in camp on top of that, I'm going to allow all of my students to retake our weekly quizzes, which is something I do in every single class. I call them learning checks. Uh, they're open book, open note, and if you have friends around, open people. Um, absolutely fine to use whatever resources you have at hand. Typically, I only leave those open for about three days. In my 131, I said, okay, I'm taking the due date off you can take this as many times as you want throughout the entire quarter because i'm in a stem field where the answer is blah if the answer is blah what do i do in those half point kind of scenarios like diana was talking about well instead i told my students your options for learning checks are either a perfect score or a zero when you submit your learning check to me, you will get it back with either a perfect score and no feedback, or you will get a zero and feedback on the questions you messed up on. You have to address that feedback and fix your answers by resubmitting. And as soon as you do that, once all of the feedback is process and you've gotten the answers perfectly correct you'll get the full points my students seemed really apprehensive with that setup at first but they seemed to really enjoy it by the time the quarter is done why because they don't have to punish themselves for those little mistakes anymore instead of seeing oh minus two all they saw was a little piece of pink text for me saying, hey, this is wrong because this, check this area. Mm-hmm. And they would be able to go and even take it to each other and be like, hey, he says I got this because of this. Do you know what he's talking about? And really build off of each other's knowledge in a constructive way. On top of that, I gave myself a lot of extra work when it came to exams. Because instead of 
doing traditional exams where you the students submit the exam, the professor grades the exam, and then you hand them back the graded piece of paper and they go, okay, so that's how I did. I actually made my students meet me halfway last quarter. So when we took the first exam, they handed it in to me. I graded it on a different piece of paper. And then I gave it back to them with no grade. And I forced them to go and using whatever resources, find the right answers, create their own cue, and grade it themselves. By grading it themselves, they get this metacognitive learning experience of having to honestly critique their own work and grade a say what grade they think they should have. And I let them know that, hey, if your grade and my grade are within a standard deviation of one another, I'll give you bonus points to bring that exam grade up even higher. Mm-hmm. What I noticed is kind of exactly what I expected, which was on that first exam, none of the students met my standard deviation. Why? Because, one, they've never been asked to grade themselves before. Mm-hmm. And two, because students are so hard on themselves. Whereas I would look at a problem and say, hey, this is 80% right. There's just this 20% that's a little wonky. I'm just going to take off two points. The students will go, it's wrong. Zero. Mm-hmm. And so across the board for that class what the students reported back to me was far lower than the scores that I intended to get to them and so the students and I had a conversation one on one with each student in my office where we went through we went through their key and we went through their answers and we justified and talked it out And all the students wound up fairly happy with their grades. And they learned that they don't have to be so mean to themselves. They're allowed to make little mistakes. And that doesn't mean that they're wrong or dumb. It means that they're not perfect. And none of us are. So why are we expecting that of our students? Yeah, I really love that. Sorry to interrupt, but this is just the first part of the two-part interview with Eric and Diana. Part 2 coming soon. Thank you for joining us today as we delved into the fascinating world of teaching and learning at Clover Park Technical College. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation and gained valuable insights to inspire your own educational journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Remember to join us again next week as we continue to explore innovative strategies and share inspiring stories from the CPTC community. Until then, I'm Simon, your AI host, reminding you to never stop learning and growing. Take care, and see you next time on Simon Says Educate.